Good morning. All right. All right. All right. We comfortable? We ready? We ready? Come on. Let's stand up for a minute. Stretch out a little bit. I don't need you falling asleep. Come on. Stretch, stretch. Lean to the left, to the right. Come Shake somebody's hand. High five two, three people. Everything's a little too chill here today. We got to Come on. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Tell your neighbor, not the other way, man. Because that dude will call you out. Amen. All right. We ready? We ready? Father, we just thank you. All right. Get the coffees. Get the stuff. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word, God. We thank you, God, that you have an on-time word all the time for each and every one of us, Lord God. I thank you that your word is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And, Father, I pray right now, God, that your word would pierce us. Father, that it would pierce us. Have it on mic. Give it up for the sound crew. That was my fault. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Here's the quote. Here's the quote for this morning. What I have seen over a lifetime is that from our perception we wonder why God hasn't given us the opportunities we long for. And from his perception, he wonders why we choose to be unprepared for the opportunities he's placed right in front of us. Ah, sometimes we act like we're waiting on God when it's God waiting on us. Amen? That's where we're going to go today, amen? I love what Pastor G has been sharing, so I made it a series, and I'm going to do part three, Buried Treasure, part three. But before I get to that, I need to kind of back up a little bit, because the danger, listen, listen, I really, I'm going to do a little teaching today. It might, it might sound a little different, but, but I, I'm going to do a little teaching today. Is that, is that cool? I mean, you came, you might as well just stay. So, but see, the, da the danger of zooming in sometimes too closely to, to just one story in the Bible is that we can isolate it from the rest of the scriptures, and in doing so, sometimes we miss the bigger portion. Amen? So, so we can't just zoom into one little piece. Sometimes we got to back up and, and see it from like a plane and, and, and see the whole picture. Amen? So when I look at the passage of scripture that, 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 we, that we've been talking about, um, I like to take the placement of the thing, because if we believe that the, that the word of God is alive and active, if we believe that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, that means God is the word. And if, if, if we believe that he's alive like that and the word is alive like that, then, then the placement of the thing where God puts a passage or a story is just as important as what the story is saying. Are you following me? Okay, so, so, so Pastor G was talking about our buried treasures and in, in reference to a couple of parables that Jesus told, one being the parable of the talents. 
And, and in case you missed it, you know, a talent is a, a measure of money. And so when the word talks about a talent here, it's not just talking about like, oh, you know, you can sing and you can dance. And No, he's talking about a, he was given a talent. It's something that God entrusted to, to people. And so the, the, the story is quick. It's like this. It talks about a man. This is a parable that Jesus told about a man who was going on a journey. And so he gathered those who worked for him, and to one he gave five talents, and to another he gave two, and to another one, each according to their ability. And so the one who was given five put it to use and made five more. And the one who was given two put it to use and made two more. But the one who was given one dug a hole in the ground and buried his treasure. Amen? So these are the buried treasures that we've been talking about. Those things that God has entrusted to us, and, and, but we're, putting them, we're not putting them to use or we're, we're burying them. And so now when the Gospel of Matthew was written, I, I need you to know this. That there was no Matthew 24, Matthew 25, verse 1. That there were no numbers, right, when, when the scriptures were given to us. When the Gospels were recorded for us, however, the, the order was kept. So, so the way the story's told, the way the letter was written was kept. We added the numbers later, so the numbers are not that important. That was for, for us to be able to find it. You know, go find Matthew 1, 20, 23, verse 1, whatever. So, so when we back up in Matthew, we see that it says in chapter 24, we're in Matthew 24. It says, as Jesus sat at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? When, what will be the sign of your coming of the close of this age? They're asking, when is going to end? When's the end of the world going to be? Because he was talking about it. So then Matthew records the stories Jesus told. And this is referred to the scholars as the Olivet Discourse. This was a discourse that was given at the Mount of Olives. So it's the Olivet Discourse. And the theme of this talk was the kingdom of God. So important to know, when he was talking about the talents in, in that parable, he was talking about kingdom, the events leading up to and establishing the kingdom. Follow me. I promise you'll, you'll get, you start to understand where I'm going. I want you to understand that where the story is, is important. Who tells the story is important, and who the story was told to is important. That's what gives us context, right? Context, it, it lets us put the scripture in. See, because you can't, Christians, please hear me. You can't just take everything that somebody said to somebody somewhere and apply it to yourself. Or put it on a t-shirt. Or put it on a bumper sticker. Or put it on a tattoo. You can't just take something that somebody said to somebody... Right? Otherwise, we read the word and we say, <coughs> we could be reading where it said about Moses and we say, oh, wait a minute. The Lord wants me to go to Egypt to talk to the Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. No, that was for Moses. That wasn't for you. You, you, you know what I'm saying? No. Or, or, or we, could, we could read and we could say, wait, Adam, God wants me to go and talk to all the animals and whatever I call them, that's what they're going to be. No, dummy. They, they already got names. That's not for you. You understand? You're taking that out. That's not for you. That was told to somebody for a reason. Or, or we, could, we could say, wait a minute. The Lord is telling me to build a boat on dry land and tell people that it's going to rain. No, man, that was Noah. That wasn't for you. You understand what I'm saying? So we have to understand kind of where. That's why it's so important um, to read some things for yourself, church. 
Listen, please hear me. I mean this in love. You can't just live off of highlights from seven-minute sermons on social media. If you do, it'll get you thinking crazy stuff. That'll be like drinking spiritual Red Bulls every day. It'll give you a boost for a minute, but it won't last, and eventually it'll mess up your heart. See, if you want to stand on the truth and on the actual promises of God and you want the truth to set you free and you want rivers of living water to flow and you want to taste the abundant life and you want to walk in the peace that Jesus came to bring, you have to have some truth to stand on. And this, God gave me this prophetic picture as I was reading this. When I look at the way people are living today, the body of Christ is struggling and stressed out because we're trying to rise up and grow on nuggets of truth. And you, you can rise up and, and, and get high on some promises. You can rise up and better yourself with some promised nuggets, but you can't stand there. And that's why we fall all the time. We, we're, just standing, we're just standing on little platforms of truth. And, and we're like, yeah, we get better, we get higher, but now it's harder to stand because we now we, now we got to talk about balance. And, and because we're, not, we're standing on these, these nuggets of truth instead of building a spiritual foundation. Instead of building a foundation. Because, because it's easier. It's easy to take four scriptures and go, yeah, look, I'm better than you. And memorize two more and say, look, I'm better than you guys. But then to stay here, to stand on, then now you're limited. And you have to, you, you, you get what I'm saying? We need to build a spiritual foundation. For many of us, the buried treasure is the word in us. Okay, let's go back to the, the, to, to the discourse here. Before Jesus drops this talk on the disciples, he had been speaking to the Jews and to the Pharisees. And he was going off on them. Read Matthew 23 and Matthew 24. He was going off on them. He was talking about how, what a bunch of hypocrites they were. He was in their house. He was in the temple. He was telling them, woe to the Pharisees. And woe to the, to the Sadducees. And woe to those that think they can. And woe. He gives all these woes to them. He's breaking them down. He's, he's talking all about their hypocrisy. And then the last thing he says, he says, how I long to gather you and bring you under my wing. And but because of your disobedience now, your houses are empty. And it's a mic drop. And he leaves the temple. Literally, that's the way the word puts it. He drops, he said, I wish that I could, I long to hold you, I long to gather you, but, but, but you, you guys think you're so much better than everybody, and you think you don't need me. So now your houses, look at you, your houses are empty. And he drops the mic, and he leaves the temple. Matthew 24 picks up. Matthew 24, it says, as he walked away from the temple, the disciples were still caught up on the buildings. The disciples are saying, but look how impressive these, the temple architecture was. Look how amazing these buildings. Look how huge and how amazing. I mean, these were like uh, amazing temples. And Jesus tells them, you're not impressed by all the sheer size, are you? He tells them the truth of the matter is this. There's not going to be a stone in that building that's not going to end up a pile of rubble. Not a stone. And that prophecy was perfectly fulfilled later. That temple was utterly destroyed and the foundation even dug up, we read from historians like Josephus and, and people that recorded in that time. 
Not one stone was left on top. And, and I understand this was an amazing picture because he was giving the disciples because in destroying the temple, what he was saying, what he was telling them and telling us, he was shifting the mindset. See, the temple was the only place that Judaism could survive. Because in the temple, is, they were, <coughs> sorry, they had the, the hand-washing rituals and the ceremonies and they, and, they, and they had the incense offerings and then they had the animals that they had to sacrifice and they had the gatherings and they had the, the feast. And, and in the temple is the only place that a Jew could be made right with God. And so by destroying the temples, he's saying, that's not going to be any good anymore. The sacrifices in the temple, you're not going to be able to do them anymore. I'm not going to accept them anymore. He said a new thing is coming. And it was, it was merciful of Jesus to destroy the temples because if he had left the temple, they would continue thinking that they were serving God and doing right in the temple by following the, 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 the rituals and the sacrifices to atone for their sins. Jesus is saying, no, there's no more. There, was, there will be a perfect sacrifice. Are you with me? And so he's setting the stage by destroying the temple, saying he's setting the stage for the gospel, which in Christ, Christ would bring us the perfect sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world and, and, and now would make each and every carrier of the Spirit of God a living temple. By destroying the temples, he's saying this is not going to be the temple of God anymore. This is going to be the temple of God. Come on, you gotta get, you gotta get a little more excited about that. This is gonna be, this is no longer, this is gonna be, he's saying, and, 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 and uh, you gotta understand, this is, it seemed impossible to the disciples because the stones that these temples were built at, they were actually carved out of the rock quarries, you know, quarries. And so these were like huge for, for him to say, there's not gonna be a stone left on, on another. It's like, come on, bro. Are you like, a wrecking ball going to come, like, this is not going to happen. And it did. It was, it was hard for them to, but Jesus was showing them, I'm going to make you these temples. In 1 Peter 2.5, it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You will be living temples. Everything that the Jews did in the temple that was right, we're called to do in our lives and in our walk and in our relationship as the temple, as the church, as the body of Christ. Get this. That's why it's so important and so vital that we talk about buried treasures and talents and, and, and the gifting and the calling that each of us have and, and how we're called to use it. Because the, the picture that Paul gives us is the picture of a physical body. First Corinthians says, just as the body is one and has many members, all and all are members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks and slaves are free, are all made to drink of one spirit. Romans 24 says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, the word says. So, so to, to, to get the full picture of this, you have to understand that we're not saying, when we talk about buried treasures, we're not saying, hey, I'm dudes over there, 
it would be nice, man, if you, like, used your gifts, like, the, the stuff that, and, and, and lady over there, um, it would be nice, man, that gifting that God gave you, that put in your heart, it would be nice if you used it, man, that would be really cool. We're not saying something like that. We're saying, listen, if the word of God is saying, you, 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 and you, you make up the right arm of this ministry. Think about that as a body. You, 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 and you, you make up the left leg of this ministry. Your giftings and your, your, your callings and, and the way God has fashioned you and created you. You make up, so, so listen, so... When, when you're not walking in those things, if you don't walk in it, the body now has a handicap to overcome. Are you with me? If this crew don't show up, we're minus an arm. And now we have to do everything with a left arm. If this crew don't show up here, we're minus a leg. Now we have to overcome a handicap. Do, do you see that if we're all one body... We're all parts of this body. When parts are missing, I don't know how many of you woke up and your arm was missing today. Or your, your neck decided to stay in bed. Or your ear said, I'm taking the day off, I'm not going to church. You can't, right? They all have to work together. When one part of your body decides not to work, what do you do? Emergency. Oh, man, that's a good picture. That's a 911 situation, right? My kidney's not working. My heart's not working. In 911 situation, something's not working that's supposed to be working that has a purpose and a function. Oh, man. Mm. <coughs> Listen, it's time for the parts of the body to actually work together for a change and start, stop resisting one another. Mark, kill the heat in here. It's too hot. If, they, if they're still cold, they need to get excited. This is a word for somebody. Stop resisting the body. Stop resisting what God is trying to do in the body. Stop resisting. Listen, God made us overcomers, amen? And so that means if these don't show up, he'll either bring 15 more people with the similar giftings to make up for the disability, or he'll make us strong enough to carry on with what we have. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, so the word and the warning here is what happens to those that bury what God had given them to walk in, and that's what we're dealing with here in this series. And I want you to really get how big this is. Because this is just not a good, like, hey, I hope you feel good. I hope this makes you feel important today. This is, you are important. You're vital. You're vital. If God brought you to this body, you're vital to this body. This is, I'm not trying to make you feel good. You, you understand? I'm trying to tell you what the Word says. And so, so after Jesus lives the, leaves the temple, by, by the way, he never went back after that. Never went back into the temple after that. Then we come to the Mount of Olives where he sits and the disciples come to him and they start to ask these questions. And it's in that setting that Jesus tells us about the end times. Listen, listen to how this is related and what to expect. And then in the same discourse, he drops these parables on the disciples 
for all who follow him today. Uh, but before he tells the parable of the talents, which we already stated, started already, he drops this parable. Put up Matthew 25 for me. Let's read through it real quick. He drops this parable before the parable of the talents. Remember I said, the placing of the thing is just as important as what the thing is saying. Amen? Matthew 25 says, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And then all of the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give me some of your oil because our lamps are going out. (coughs) But the wise answered, then there will not be enough for us and for you. So go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Get your own oil. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Somebody say, the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. The imagery of this parable is clear, right? The kingdom of heaven is the church. The bridegroom is Christ. The virgins are the church members. The wise virgins are the ready, the prepared. The foolish virgins are the unprepared. But, but wait, they're church members. Yeah, but they're unprepared. But wait, they're part of the body. Yeah, but they're not ready. And so sleep, it says the, the time of sleep came, that was, that's death. They died. I know, like the crazy buzzkill for the story. They died. Because it is an appointed unto man once to die. So everybody dies. They all died. So the midnight, so sleep was death. The midnight cry was the judgment call. The exclusion of the foolish is the rejection of the unprepared. And the prepared ones couldn't. And some people could say, we could read the story and say, yo, that's foul, man. Why didn't you share the oil? Right? Some of you thought like that. Because some of you are nice people like that. Some of you are good people. Say, no, man, I would have shared my own. The thing is this. You can't share. You can't give somebody what they're not doing. You can't. You you don't get hold. You you can't get in saying you know me. No, I go to Pastor George's church. So? So do seven demons every week. Sitting up in the church trying to cause division. You sit probably next to them. They're probably your friends. You probably know them. You probably eat with lunch after them. All right, I'll go too far. Slow down. So, so the midnight cry was the, so, so you can't transfer holiness. And so, so, so you can't transfer those good works. The shut door, what's the shut door? The shut door is the impossibility of getting prepared af- afterwards. Listen to this. Heaven will be a prepared place for a prepared people, and failure to prepare will mean failure to enter. So about that. This is a warning to the good, to the morally upright, to the respectable church member. There must be oil in your lamp. 
You have to be walking in the faith and in the giftings that God has given you to walk in. You can't borrow oil. I can't transfer to you what you haven't walked in up until that point. There'll be no buried treasures in heaven. Yeah, this took a twist, didn't it? So before he tells us the parable of the talents, he tells us the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. So before he says to the disciples and to us, I've given you a measure to work with according to your abilities. He tells us with the first parable, but be prepared and be ready. See, God never sets us up to fail. If he had given the second person five talents just that he had given the first, he might have set him up to fail. Because to whom much is given, much is expected. That's why we got to be careful. We're always asking for blessing and we're not walking in what he's given us already. To whom much is given, much is expected. God, I want more. I want more. I want more. But get to us. What are you doing? What are you doing with what you have? What do you want more for? So you could get goosebumps and feel it. So you could hit the floor. So you could pass out. So they could wake you up an hour later after the service. Say, brother, you were out cold on the floor. You must be so spiritual. Oh, I went to service, man. They put hands on me. I hit the floor. I was shaking like a fish. I was, for what? For what? For what? What are you going to do when you get up? Live the same way. Live the same way. You're going to walk out, and after you tell about, oh, I hit the floor and all that, but did you see what sister was wearing? She bugging. She said, bah, 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 and you start the gossip, but nothing changed. So God sets us up to succeed. He doesn't set us up to fail. So he, he, that's why he, was, he, he gave the, the one two talents because that's what he had the ability to walk in. He gave the one one talent because he had the ability. He was a one talent guy for the moment. That's not a bad thing. God gave the same reward to the one who made two and the same reward to the one who made five. He was just as pleased with the one as he was with the other. That's grace. Amen. God just wants you to do what you're able to do. And God says you're able to do what I've given you to do. Oh, man. That's good. But to the one who buried his talent, to the one who didn't step out, to the one who's not walking in the gifting that he was given, to the one who didn't take a chance, who never prepared to walk out his calling, he says, take the one talent from him and give it to the one who has ten already. Side note, when God trusts you, he'll even give you what's not for you. Give it to the one who already, that wasn't even for him. Yeah, but I trust him. So if I give him another, I know he'll do right by it. That wasn't even his. Yeah, but now he got more. This one cast the servant out from my presence. And then after the second parable, he starts in in verse 31. Remember, we're looking at the discourse, this talk. This whole talk is one talk. And so it doesn't matter what numbers, it's one talk. This is everything that Jesus sat at the Mount of Olives and told his disciples. Those are his followers. He wasn't talking to everybody else. He was talking to the church. He was talking to us. That we can apply to us. He's talking to us, to those that follow him. See how that works? So he was talking about, um, he starts after the second parable. First parable, he says, get ready. Second parable, he says, I've given you something to walk in. Third thing he says is not a parable. He's talking real truth now. Not that the other one wasn't real truth, but he's not making up stories now to give us a picture. He's telling us straight 
He said, verse 31, talking about the final judgment, he starts saying, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's the second coming of Christ, that's the judgment call, right? That's the second time. He's, he's going to separate people, the word he's, Jesus tells us. We got this twisted thing, oh, God is love, Jesus loves, Jesus loves every single one of us. It don't matter what we're doing, it don't matter how we live, it don't matter, he's just love. And that's a beautiful picture. But here he says he's going to separate people. I want you to have the real picture. Not the, not the social media seven-minute message picture. He says he's going to separate people. And to the one group, he's going to say, come, you who are blessed of my father. Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. He says, come. He says, watch this. Because when I was hungry, you gave me food. And when I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. And when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was sick, you visited me. And when I was in prison, you came to me. And then the righteous, the, the, those that, are, that made it, they're going to say, but Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? Verse 39, and when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you have done it unto me. That which you've done unto the least of these... That which you've done unto the neighbor that sits next to you that you don't even know. That which you've done unto those people that you, you just smile at. That which you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. And to the others, he'll say, depart from me. Because when I was hungry, you gave me no food. When I was thirsty. And they're going to say, but when did we see you hungry? He said, that which you did not do to the least of these, you did not do for me. So, if, if, if this principle were more widely understood and accepted, it would revolutionize men's attitude toward the church. In the final essence, what men do to the church, men do to Christ. People that talk about the church, you're talking about God's bride. You're talking, that's why it's so, I, I get offended quickly. So I can't imagine, you know, I get offended, I get real tight. When people, no, because, you know, the church, all the church wants is your money, all the church. Come on, shut up. The restaurant you go to, all they want is your money, but you keep going to them, don't you? Because you like what they give you. That store that you like to buy all them shirts from, all they want is your money. You think they're there because they like you? All they want is your money, but you keep going there because you like what they have for you. To neglect or disrespect or dishonor the church is to do the same to Christ, who's the head of the church. On the other hand, those who support, those who provide, those who extend their concern and constant aid on behalf of her poor and her needy, do the same to Christ, whose body is the church. So when we've been talking about these buried treasures, if you're going to feel the weight of this parable, it's not just, man, you could be a nice person if you use what God gave you. What we have to look at is where it is, what's before it, what's after it, who is, who is he talking to. And we can't separate it from each other. If it's one discourse that Jesus gave, then we have to put it all together. And what he's telling those that follow him is, one, be ready, be prepared. Two, discover the gift that I've placed in you and put it to use. 
3. What you do or don't do unto the least of these, you do or don't do unto me. Do you feel the weight of it now? Worship team, you guys can come. Now, a question here has to, has to come if, if you're really listening and if you're really kind of uh, connected with this and if you're really feeling the weight of this, the question is then, well, how do I know what my gifting is? I've been sitting here for four years. How do I know that I'm supposed to be doing something? What am I supposed to be doing? What is this gifting? What is, nobody ever, my mother told me I was a loser my whole life. My father told me I was an accident. This one, and nobody's ever told me I was anything good. You're telling me I got something. I don't know what it is. How do I find it? Anybody? My wife sent me this devotional last week that had this powerful little illustration in it, and I pray that this will help you see something. This man bought an expensive hunting dog. One of the real expensive hunting breeds. And it was a great dog, but it was like any other dog. It was chasing squirrels. It barked at animals. There was nothing different about it. One day he went hunting with his friends. And one of them had the same breed of dog that he had back home. That he didn't even bring on a hunting trip because he was no good. There was no point. And this dog would go out into the bushes and sniff out where the quail was and where he would find the quail, he would stand at the bush and he would lift his tail really high to note that this is where the quail is. And, and this guy was like amazed. He said, man. And so he asked the owner, how did you train him to do that? I know that that's what they're supposed to do, this kind of dog, but how did you train him to do that? The owner said this, listen, the more he's in the environment that he's supposed to be in, the more he trains himself to do what he was created to do. It's so important. That's why Jesus said, if you're in me and I'm in you, then you're going to bear fruit. It just happens. When you're in the right environment, you will discover what your gifting is. You'll discover what you're called to do. Your surroundings can develop or hinder the work that you were specifically crafted to accomplish. But we don't find ways to be a part of the body. We'll never discover what we've been called and trained to do. So let me ask you, is the environment you're in, is the relationship you're in, ah, developing or hindering your gifting. You know how I discovered that this is what I was called to do? Do you care? Do I tell you why? All right, two people care. I'm going to tell them. The rest of you just got to listen. This is how I discovered that this was my calling, what I'm doing right now. This is what I love to do. I love to teach. I love to preach. I love to break down the word. I spent hours and hours and hours trying to understand it and trying to make it simple and trying to put it together in a way that I can kind of deliver it so that somebody would get it and get a hold of it and eat it and say, that was so good and grow. And I love what I do. I love this. You know how I found this? I signed up to clean bathrooms in the first church I was ever a part of. There was a need. I signed up for it. My wife and I took on the one weekend. I think it was like one weekend a month. 
And that one weekend, we'd have to come in on a Saturday, and we'd clean the entire building, all the toilets, all the bathrooms, mopping, sweeping, toilet bowl, rinsing, the whole nine. Fun stuff. After I did that for a while, I volunteered to work with the children's ministry. At that point, there was a Royal, Royal Rangers, there was a Young Boys program, and I thought, man, I, I think I could deal with that. I, I, they need help. They need men to stand up for these young boys. The, the, the children's ministry needed some men that would stand in. I, I hadn't had any training or anything like that, but I, I'm a man. I, you know, I qualified at least with the minimum requirement. I volunteered to work with the children's ministry. Somewhere in there, we began, my wife and I began to tithe. I'll be honest with you, it was more her than me. So wives, those of you that are still fighting with your husbands, hey, he would be like, we got a tithe. I said, we're making $200 a week, chill, chill, chill. I pay the bills, you don't understand. We have to tithe. Okay, babe, I'm going to tithe. But I got to pay Con Ed. But I got to pay the oil. But, but you want to eat, right? Right? You want to eat pasta every day, right? We grew up on pasta. My kids grew up on pasta and sauce. Ain't never killed nobody. Amen? Rice and eggs. Yes. Come on. Come on. Steak is for spoiled people. Rice and eggs. That's protein, carb, everything you need in life. Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. So somewhere, <laughs> spam. Spam. That's for the blessed brothers in the place. We got a, a Canada joins like $5 now, right? Mystery meat. Somewhere in there, we began to tie. And, and somewhere in there, the little bit, out of the 200, I was, you know, I had to give $20. That hurts when it's 200. But once you kind of learn how to let it go, you're like, man, I'm doing the right thing. And then I see how God started blessing, and my 200 became 2,000. And I started making money. Little by little, God will open up opportunities, and whatever he put into my hand, I blessed him with it, right? He don't need it. God don't need it. It's to show him that I trust him. I'm not going to take an offering. Relax. You could amen. You could be comfortable. Relax. But remember this next week. Or giving at Sanctuary Fellowship. Just do what you got to do. But listen, whatever I got, I gave from. And little by little. And God, listen, I've had jobs in my life that I was never qualified for. I never went to college. I'm head of stuff. You know what I'm saying? I run stuff. Not because of my own, because, but because God, God always put me in places that, that, anyway. After completing my commitment to the kids' ministry, I pitched in as a chaperone to help the youth leaders on a retreat. Hated the youth. Hated them. They were nasty, bad attitudes, ungrateful. But the church needed help. And so I said, I'll be a, char- a, sh- a chaperone. And I, and I went. First trip, one kid tried to kill herself. What am I doing here? This is crazy. I don't need this drama in my life. But in that environment, God started to show me, you have 
I've, you, there's a character in you. There's something in you that I've, I've put something in you to teach and to share. And, and so I started to, you know, in that surrounding, I discovered that God could use me in teaching young people some life lessons. And after years of ministry with young people, I thought that was it. I was never using that as a, as a stepping stone. This is, oh man, God, this is awesome. This is what you call me to do. I'll do it till I die. But God had different, you're going to be a viejo. I can't have you working with the young people. I got, I'm just training you. This is, this is right. And so in there I discovered, and then, and then, uh, and then it came to the point when God called me to step out and risk everything again, leave the environment I knew and create an environment where others can find their gifts and walk in. So, so you self-righteous guys, please don't come to me telling me you're called to be a pastor if you haven't cleaned the toilet. If you haven't helped out the kids' ministry, don't come talking to me how you're a leader and you're in charge of things. If you haven't volunteered to help where help was needed because it's in that environment that we discover who we are and what we're called for. God doesn't waste anything. You don't waste anything. He was developing a character in me, giving $20 from the little check I was getting. He was developing character in me so that when he dropped 10000 on me, I can give money. When he dropped bigger numbers on, he knew that he can trust me. When something came up and said, we need this with this, I was able to say, yeah, I'll give $1,000 to that project. I'll give $2,000. My wife and I will give $3,000 to that project. Why? Because I know that that. I'm a, I'm a vessel, and so whatever he flows through me, if I, whatever I keep giving out, he keeps filling. He keeps filling. I can't outgive God. This is, not about, this is about um, stewardship. It's not just money. So whatever gifting God gives me, I give it out. Because I can't outgive. He'll give me more. He'll give me more. And whatever I get, he'll give me more. And then when the, the dude God next to me buries his, God will give me his too. He said, here's another talent. Because I trusted you with the ten and you did good. And I'll trust you with more to whom, right? He, more will be given, but to him who does has even less, it will be taken away. Jesus says, be ready. Be prepared. Discover the gifts I placed in you. Put them to use. What you do for me or don't do for me, for the least of these, you don't do for me. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Wasn't that an awesome message? But I want to end, uh, let's end different. We kind of end the worship real mellow. You know, it's a nice vibe. Let's stand to our feet. Because I want to glorify, I want to praise this God. This awesome God that Pastor George just spoke about that he's an awesome giver and his desire is to give to give but what will you do with what you have the father we thank you thank you father that you are a provider oh god 
Father, that your desire is to be able to trust us, Father. That's what you do, Father. Lord, you've created and, and, and you've set the atmosphere and the stage and you put us where we need to be and you say, here, now take this. I want to see what you're going to do with that. So if you're here today, you're in the place where you're supposed to be. God has placed something in you. What are you going to do with that? So I'm excited this morning. And I want to worship and I want to praise some more. God is a mighty warrior. Can we speak about him? Come on. Come on. Hey, the worthy Lord. Somebody clap your hand. You worthy, Lord. Put us out from the dead into your freedom. Our chains are gone. No weapon. Weapon form shall prevail. Your word is stronger. We overcome. You are the
to do to accomplish his will in my life See? that's what God is looking for he's not looking for no superstars so if you're a superstar you're in the wrong place he's the number one superstar and then he empowers us to do even greater things than we could ever imagine or think so father we thank you for this morning lord you are worthy we are grateful lord and to in this week as we celebrate thanksgiving with our families we want to be careful and sure to put you first before everything because you have given us all that we have all that we need the ability to create wealth father we thank you to Father, bless this church, everyone that is in it, Lord. I pray for such an empowered, packed weekend. I pray for God's sightings. I pray for special touches from you. I pray for special encounters with you, Lord. Father, that we would come back here Sunday, Father, just speaking to our friends and our loved ones and our brothers and sisters of what God is doing and that he's doing it even now, Lord. So you know how we end every service. I say, you are blessed to be a blessing. Have a wonderful week. Thank you, Lord. Bless somebody on the way out.